0: We are going to read from Luke chapter 19,
1: beginning at verse 1. That is on page 1098. If you want to follow us in the Pew Bibles, and if you don't, it's absolutely fine. So the passage says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through.
0: A man was there by the name
1: of Zacchaeus. He was a a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd.
0: So he ran ahead
1: and climbed a sycamore tree on the way to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today.
0: So he came down at
1: once and welcomed him. Gladly, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for a continual revelation of who you are and how radically you love us. I pray for my words this morning. I pray for the hearts of minds and all of us as we learn more about who you are. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Today we are going to be continuing our series, it's called, Who is this man? where, echoing the words of the disciples, we ask of Jesus, who is this man? And a big part of getting to know someone is knowing their surroundings, knowing the people that they surround themselves with. Last week we looked at Jesus' parents, in particular we looked at Mary, to help understand Jesus' world better.
0: And with Mary, we see
1: someone who is both completely singular and utterly mundane. She has a child young, like most women did at that time. She worked hard during manual labor, like most women did at that time. She also gave birth to the savior of the world, which no one else has done ever. And she offers in Luke 1 this beautiful song we sometimes call the Magnificat. I think it is the greatest song ever written.
0: So, who were Jesus'
1: parents? Well, they were, as they say, utterly mundane, but completely singular.
0: And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look more at the kind of people that Jesus surrounds himself with during his ministry. And originally, I was going to look at the disciples this week, but I decided I'd save
1: that, and I was going to look at a group of people who Jesus wasn't supposed to be spending time with. Uh, the people who even spending time in their presence made him less credible. People thought it made him less holy. And in case you hadn't worked out, I am talking about tax collectors in general and then a little bit of Zacchaeus at the end. We heard in the passage there, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner elsewhere. People say, why does this teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" This is the religious leaders of the day asking this question. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I like the fact that tax collectors get their own peace there. It's not because it was tax collectors and also sinners. It's sinners and then those guys who were the worst of sinners, the tax collectors. Uh, We read from Zacchaeus, we read from Luke 19, If you went to Sunday school, you're probably aware of this story, because I think when we're short, we like to hear stories about short people. I will say that I was actually cast to play Zacchaeus in the school play when I was seven, uh, which I realize looks a bit ridiculous now, but I was quite short as a seven-year-old. It probably wouldn't work now. Uh, The teacher told us that we'd be enacting the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus And she asked who wanted to play Jesus, and uh, a girl named Serene, her name was Serene, her hand shot up. She was like the very Christian girl in the class. Uh, I I was going to say, did any of you have a very enthusiastic Christian person in their class? And I thought, I'm in a church. And you're probably thinking, no, James, or none, there was, it was you. But Serene was lovely. But that left the role of Zacchaeus, and teachers knew that I was loud and liked being the center of attention. And so when no one volunteered, they asked me, and I eagerly volunteered. Uh, But sadly, I don't actually know what happened in that assembly, because a few days before it, I caught the chicken box, (laughs) and I was unable to go to school. And so today, we're gonna try and get some closure seven-year-old James never had, and you get to come along with me.
0: So we're going to focus
1: on these three questions, which help inform that bigger question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And those three questions are, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's a question that keeps being asked. One I think is really important for us today, which is how? does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? But before that, let's ask this question. What's the big deal about tax collectors? Why are tax collectors so despised? Now, I realize that paying taxes is not something that excites most people or is a particularly popular thing. Uh, I think it's worth us at least reconsidering that a little bit. If taxes were instead called funds so that children can go to school, uh, which you know isn't a guarantee in some areas of the world. We might think of taxes as being slightly better, or if we called it the, the pot of money, so that if I get sick, I don't lose all of my money and my house and end up bankrupt. That feels like a better fund to contribute to, doesn't it? At the same time, I'm also not a big fan of paying taxes that go towards weapons and bombs uh, lands or money that subsidizes property developers rather than people that don't have houses. So I acknowledge that taxes are complicated, but let's at least acknowledge that sometimes some good comes out of them. But taxes were a bit less complicated back in the times and life of Jesus. Uh, Taxes, the more onerous ones, were taxes that you paid to Rome and sometimes those taxes were used for infrastructure, they were used for roads and what have you, which is a good thing, but an awful lot of the taxes of the empire were to help prop up the empire that was oppressing those who were paying the taxes in the first place.
0: So not only was a Roman centurion a
1: quite a terrifying thing to behold, it was also a reminder of how powerless you were. It was a reminder of how God maybe wasn't protecting you the way you thought that God would protect you. And we're paying him for that privilege. <laughs> to, to be really stark about it, the Roman nails used to crucify Jesus were probably paid by his taxes.
0: <laughs> so then we get to the
1: tax collectors, and the way that taxation worked in the Roman Empire, oversimplifying it massively, of course, is that individuals from different regions would bid for the right to be a tax collector. And they would say, I could get you this amount of money. And whoever promised they could get the most amount of money would win that bid. So the bigger bids won. And the bigger bids ultimately meant heavier and often very unreasonable taxation. So the tax system, by design, encouraged those who were willing to play dirty, who were willing to be unreasonable, were willing to oppress others and demand taxation in a way that wasn't reasonable or fair. And so (laughs) it's, it's not really a huge surprise that the tax collectors who helped and enabled the oppression of their own people were despised. This makes sense. Tax collectors collaborated with your oppressors and profited from your oppression. The first century audience would have had no patience or sympathy for tax collectors and it's very easy to understand why. But then of course we have Jesus and, and we have this question, this question, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors? Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors? Because Jesus really ruins everything here. In a world where tax collectors are an easy punching go. A punching go? Punching bag and scapegoat. Sorry. (laughs) What a punching go would look like. An obvious punching bag and an obvious scapegoat for all things wrong. Jesus does the worst thing that he can. Jesus forces us to see them as people. Jesus humanizes the people that we don't want humanized. And this is prevalent throughout all the Gospels, but Luke's Gospel, which we read from today, um, there's an awful lot of mentions of tax collectors, and they're all positive. In Luke 5, he calls Levi, who's a tax collector, to follow him, and he does later on in that chapter, the religious elite grumble and Ask this question: Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then, in chapter seven, we're told that upon hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, so Jesus gives his sermon about the kingdom of God, which he does. The Bible says is that all the people, even the tax collectors, <laughs> when they heard Jesus's words, acknowledged that Jesus's way was right. In Luke fifteen. It's the religious elite once again criticizing Jesus spending time with tax collectors that sets the scene for Jesus' parables on the lost sheep and the prodigal son. If you haven't read those, I encourage you to do so. They're great. And then in Luke 18, which is just one chapter before this one, Jesus tells a parable where he's a tax collector who offers a sincere prayer of repentance at the temple. Now, all of these pieces are subversive and confusing.
0: But I think one of the things that
1: Jesus is trying to challenge is our narrative of who deserves our kindness, who deserves our love, who deserves our hospitality. Because that seems to be quite a big part of the world right now. Who should I like and who should I dislike? Who should I agree with? Who's worthy of my time or my patience or my charity? And news channels tell us this, and our Facebook feeds tell us this, and probably our friends and peers tell us this too. Quite happily, who is deserving of our patience, of and our generosity, and who isn't? I man, I and there's such a danger, I think, in in being forced to pick some. I'm just going to say racist Facebook posts, I don't know, I don't want to be polarizing, but they are. And they, they'll they say things like, you know, why are we uh, helping foreigners when so many of our own people are hungry? And, and I'm thinking, I mean, first of all, we just feed people regardless of where they're from. This is a good thing to do. But it seems to imply that there's a certain standard you have to reach before you earn basic dignity. <laughs> that people have to earn their right to be treated as human. Jesus doesn't do that. And let's be really honest with ourselves and look inwards. Churches have spent a lot of time telling us who shouldn't be included, who we shouldn't treat as human. We we talk a lot about loving the sin, sorry, loving the sinner, but hating the sin. Um... (laughs) But I, I hate to break it to you, evangelical churches are famous for hating the sinner. That is what we are known for. We're not famous for loving the sinner and hating the sin. All the world sees is us hating the sinner. That's what we're known for. Last week, a pastor in the States went kind of viral for screaming. And I really mean screaming. I, I can't recommend you watch this, but screaming uh, that if you were in his church and voted Democrat, uh, that you should get out because and i quote you're a demon <laughs> and we don't vote that way in this church
0: now he almost certainly would have said the same thing
1: to tax collectors 2000 years ago you're not in you're not you're a sinner get out doesn't seem to be what jesus does but as i say it's easy for me to point outwards and say hey, i wouldn't make that mistake because at my laziest i do I kind of want to know who the sinner is. I do want to know, eh, who is it I don't have to share a meal with? And unfortunately, Jesus doesn't give me an easy way out. So why does Jesus eat with tax collectors? I could have done a series on this, but I can't help but think it's because his, his arms embrace rather than push away. I think he eats with them to show us that the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of exclusion. And, and so we come to Zacchaeus, and I know I've talked a bit about why Jesus eats with tax collectors. I, I really want to talk about how Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Because I think there's lots for us to learn there too. One thing I think is really interesting, and I encourage you to, to read through these pieces as well and, and see what questions are interesting to you, see what jumps out, spend time in the text, time, spend time getting to know who Jesus is and the way that he acts and speaks, the way that he holds himself. But I think what's really interesting is that Jesus doesn't just tell tax collectors to do something else. Like, isn't that, isn't that strange? Tax collectors, as they say, are doing bad work <laughs> for bad people. It's not like Jesus is above telling people to stop doing what they're doing. I mean, the first thing he tells a fisherman is,
0: put down your nets
1: and follow me. And they do. In Luke 18, just one chapter before this, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to have life what I need to do, and Jesus says, "I keep the rules, and he goes, I do that. Okay, then give up everything and give it to the poor. And the the man walks away sad, and we don't know what happened, but we presume he was sad because he didn't want to give up his stuff. (laughs) So Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with telling people to change their behavior a lot of the time, and yet when it's with tax collectors, the people who know that they're in the wrong, he does no such thing. Instead, he eats, and he parties, and he laughs, and and the religious elite can't stand it. It's such a thumb in the eye because they think their piety gets them to the head of the banquet table. They thought that your holiness was defined by the purity of the people around you, rather than the humanity of the people around you. But look at this encounter with Zacchaeus and with the other tax collectors too. Jesus doesn't demand change. Jesus asks to spend time with Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus does anything. I'll read it again. It just says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today.
0: And so he came down at once and
1: welcomed him gladly. Jesus asked to spend time with Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus offers to change. But it seems to be that by spending time with him, it's this display of hospitality and embrace and love that Zacchaeus' heart is changed. Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, like I love you, but I hate your sin. And once you change your sinful and destructive behaviour, then I will welcome myself at your house. Jesus doesn't demand change before accepting another's humanity. But it does seem that Jesus accepting Zacchaeus' humanity is a very effective bringer of change. Do you see the difference? People are more likely to change because of our love than change for our love. And look at this transformation that it brings. It says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Now, we don't actually know uh, if Zacchaeus did rob anyone. We assume he did because he was a tax collector and he's rich. But it's possible that he actually tried to do it as honestly as he, as he could. We don't know.
0: But he says, look, if I've robbed anyone, I'll pay it back fourfold.
1: But to show you how changed and how serious I am, because you have acknowledged my humanity, I want to give half of everything I have away right here, right now. Zacchaeus knows that the inclusion and love and and being a follower of Jesus, yeah, I'll give up half my possessions to the poor. I, I'm confronted by this cold reality that Zacchaeus is a much better follower of Jesus than I am. As is said just a few verses earlier, when that rich young ruler approaches Jesus and says, you know, what do I need to do to have life? And Jesus says, give up those things. He can't do it. But Zacchaeus experiences that love and that acceptance that he hasn't found elsewhere, and it changes. I think it's really important that we ask how Jesus is with tax collectors, how Jesus is with sinners, and, and look inward. I, um, I'll finish with a with story, if that's okay. When, when I started uh, working, my first job, I was a youth pastor, and I worked alongside, under a youth leader called Tim, who is a brilliant man and continues to be an, an excellent friend and an important person in my life now. And Tim had been doing youth work for a long time before I joined him, and he had this expression, belong before you believe. It might not have been original, I'm not saying he created it, but but it was a kind of mantra that we had at our youth group. Uh, and, and we had a lot of programs on during the week, and, and some of the kids coming out were uh, very involved in the church and really excited about who Jesus was and some of those people uh, had had very cruel uh, life experiences and, and, and cruel experiences of, of church and Christians and Christianity too. Uh, but we thought it was really important that people knew that they belonged, that they, we wanted them and they were loved and they were safe. And and once they felt those things, they felt able to, to ask questions that maybe they wouldn't have asked before. And And those questions once someone feels safe and trusted with you, those questions come. Yeah, so what, what is church like?
0: What is your church like?
1: Why do you believe what you believe? I've heard Christians believe this. I've heard that Christians don't want me. Is that true? Is that your experience of Christianity? Is that how you understand Jesus? And, and yeah, and after a while, they started being interested in, in what we did and how we did it. And they asked if they could come to a service. And we said, oh, you know, we've got this service that the youth lead, and they were so good and so passionate, so wonderful. And I'd say, hey, it's your friends leading it. Come to that one. And we said, actually, this month's service is going to be great because a bishop is coming to speak which was weird. I don't know why the bishop was interested. Like I, with hindsight, it's a really big deal that a bishop should come to speak at some youth-led service somewhere. Um, we said, you should come out for this one. It's a big one. And he just said, we don't care. <laughs> what do we care about a bishop? We care about you. Which is amazingly humbling and beautiful, I suppose. And they said, let us, let us know when you're the one leading. Then we'll come. And, and they did. They, they came out people who sworn never to be in a church service who'd been so hurt, and so jaded. Uh, but they came and, and they got to know more about who Jesus was. But but it was only because of uh, Tim being so strong and so brilliant and, and so emphatic about belonging before they believe.
0: And, and I worry that that churches for a long time now have have got that the wrong way
1: around. That so many people feel that they need to be up to a certain standard or have a a correct understanding before they feel welcomed or or like they belong. But that's not what Jesus does. It seems that Jesus knows that accepting and loving people and, and having fun and partying with them and celebrating with them
0: that those are ultimately
1: the things that draw them closer to him. And, and that's, we know, it's never going to be us, and it's always going to be Jesus that changes people's hearts. So how does Jesus eat with tax collectors? <laughs> by by really loving them. By just showing them who he is and, and how Good. This can be. Let's let's try to be a church that does the same. Amen.